What is up? What is going on, everybody? You've got three guys here who are going to try to hypnotize you. We're just going to try to do it a little bit less creepy than Catherine Keener does. We'll do it on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of The Threequel. As always, I'm one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein. Here with me, Mike Duranik and Brad Miller. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Hey, hey, doing well. Ethan, I'm, I'm glad that uh, we were able to get Brad back this week after a suspension last week. Uh, you know, while it was, it was well-earned, Brad, I think we're all in agreement now, and you promised not to do it again. Uh, it just wasn't the same uh, discussing a movie with only Ethan and I, so I'm glad to have Brad back. Uh, get, the, uh, get the bleeps ready for my response here, Ethan, because I have some aggressive <laughs> words to say <laughs> towards that. I'm definitely going to do it again, and that was the best <laughs> suspension that I have ever served in my life. Uh, it sounds like at least you learned 10% of the lesson we were hoping to give. So, you know, sometimes that's the best you can do. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it is good to have us back at full strength. This is certainly a movie that, uh, the conversation is going to be quite different than it was last week. So, uh, as many of the perspectives as we can have for a movie like this, uh, we wanted to, and we felt that Brad, uh, handled his suspension, uh, as maturely and with as much grace and elegance as he could. So moving into this week, as you saw in the title, uh, we are talking about Get Out. Uh, it is just now eligible as we have our five-year rule. This was made in 2017, came out in February 2017. So we'll start it with the same question that I always ask, gentlemen, uh, what was your first experience with Get Out? Did you see it in the theaters in February of 2017? Uh, did you catch it a little bit later on a streaming service or a rental? And uh, what did you bring into this rewatch of Get Out? I did not see it in the theater. My first watch, uh, like one of our other recent movies, was with you in my in my home. Um, I don't I don't remember the year, so I'm not sure how how long after it was in theaters that we watched it but uh definitely streamed it with you or maybe it was a dvd i i don't know but uh watched it here with you and uh i loved it the first time and i believe this is only the second time that i've watched it uh beginning to end so um great film and it uh it definitely held up over the last five years so I was very excited to see this as I had heard about it and tried to stay away from what the hook was because, you know, five years ago definitely was not in the midst of uh, going to the movies regularly. So I missed this when it was in theater, but I believe it was released on HBO. And um, so I was eagerly awaiting its release on HBO. And I, I definitely, uh, it, it lined up with one of my uh, times that I needed to take a little vacation time and do nothing from home. And so I watched it while I was home from, from work on a vacation day and was so blown away by it that I immediately had to start trying to figure out how I was going to get my wife to watch it. Now, Jenny does not do scary movies. So the first thing I had to do was say, well, it's a suspense thriller. It's, it's not a horror movie. Um, and after much negotiation and con convincing her that 
uh, really, she wanted to to see this just from a standpoint of of the social commentary and how powerful that was. She relented and agreed to watch it during the middle of the day, and so we made a plan to do that. Uh, watched it a second time with her, uh, and then hadn't seen it since. This was my third watch of it um, for for this podcast. Yeah, so my first viewing uh, is the exact same answer that Brad had. I watched it with you, Brad. I did not see this one in theaters uh, when it came out. And it's interesting that this was the time of my life, late in college, when I started watching more horror films. You know, I brought The Conjuring to you guys on this podcast to watch, and um, that still stands as probably my favorite horror movie. Um, but I think you described it well, Mike. This isn't that. It was advertised as that. I mean, I remember the previews for this thing uh, looking truly terrifying uh, with the music and the things like that. This is not a jump scare, uh, terrify you because of throwing things on the screen. It's like you said, it's a suspense thriller. It gets labeled in the horror genre, genre. But it is something more than that. And I think that has been what has made this stand the test of time uh, for me when I've gone back to it. I think this is probably my fourth time watching it. Um, and, and the true terror is the buildup and the suspense uh, and then the payoff that he gives us, uh, that being Jordan Peele with, with the execution of the film. So we can get into it uh, on the screen, behind the camera. We'll start on the screen. Uh, this movie's led by, and I know I'm not going to get this right, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Daniel Kaluuya is how I've heard it pronounced, and that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, this is the movie that put him on the map for me. He does not have a lot to his credit. He was actually in Sicario, uh, and we talked about that movie on this podcast, and that came out before this. But at that time, he was not someone, you know, he was her partner he was in it, did fine, didn't stand out. This is, of course, the first major leading role. Um, he was in Black Panther. He was in a movie called Widows that I enjoyed. And then his career is now you know, really, really taking off with winning the Oscar last year for Judas and the Black Messiah. So I don't know if you guys have seen much of his other work. Obviously, I know you've seen Sicario. But um, if you have, I mean, you can comment on that. And I just think for not having an opportunity to lead a movie and this really being that first shot knocks it out of the park, got nominated for lead actor deservedly show deservedly. So I'm already having trouble speaking on this recording. We'll see if I can turn things around. Um, but I think it's fantastic. And when we do that, look, and we can look at that. Should he have won? Was it just worth the nomination, but uh, home run for your first leading role in my opinion. Yeah. Um, what did you say? He Who did you say he lost out to in Best Actor? I'm going to pull it up so you can comment. And then okay. So I think that uh, uh, yeah, great, great performance. I haven't really seen too much of the other stuff that he's been in. Um, I I have not seen Black Panther. Um, kind of looking here. Obviously, Sicario I've seen. I, I, I saw... Uh, hmm. It, I thought I saw date night there, but he was in a different uh, date night. So it says it was a short film. Um, so yeah, outside of this, there's really not much else I've seen him in, but uh, 
the one that I, that stands out on here that I wanted to see was uh, Queen and Slim looked pretty interesting. I have not had a chance to watch that, but uh, I would like to uh, to check that out. So, but yeah, if this is the only thing I ever see him in, um, I, I mean, I, I would say he's fantastic. Yeah, as as you mentioned, Sicario. Uh, although, as I'm looking at this, his character's name was Reggie Wayne. Not sure how I missed that. There was a whole bunch of Colts and fantasy football references that we missed on that podcast. Uh, I also saw him, obviously, in Black Panther. I have seen that, uh, and so this is one of three that I've seen him in. Um, and yeah, an incredible performance. I think what uh, really stood out to me about his performance on the third watch was how measured and controlled he was, but then he has scenes and I'm thinking about, you know, the scene um, where he walks up to, uh, to, to the guy who uh, he ends up flashing and, and the guy screams, get out at him. Right. Yeah. Um, just how he quickly shifts in how he is presenting himself in that moment. When you see him sit down, um, you know, with, with uh, the, the blind guy and, and I'll get the names up here in a second to make sure we're getting the right names, but right. Uh, you see him just becoming, opening up a different door to who he really is and that shows just the control with which he is carrying himself 95 percent of the time on the screen which gives so much to the performance uh, i think it really it, it portrays it conveys to me um the eggshells that his character feels like he is walking on before he even begins to understand or realize the situation that he's really in right he is walking on eggshells hoping for the best in this situation and thinking it's just a weekend away with his girlfriend's parents and he's already on those eggshells and so i think just the nuance he plays in this in this character is phenomenal i, I i'm sure you've got it up now i can't wait to hear who he lost to i'm sure I, i'm not going to be able to believe it because it's hard to imagine that somebody had a better performance than this well before i think just to piggyback off of that i think even i the first time i watched this didn't appreciate his performance to the fullest extent and what i've seen on the rewatches is just how real his character feels Mm -hmm. you know i i didn't have an appreciation at that time for like meeting a significant other's entire family in one shot or things like that and like because the first time you watch it, you're like, what's the twist? Where's that? You're focused on that. And you don't see all, like you said, the little nuances. He is just a real guy. And then all the extra stuff starts happening and, and those layers come out. So I think that's great. He lost to Gary Oldman uh, playing Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour. Um, you know, we've mentioned before on the show, actors winning awards for an entire career. I, dark it's a great performance but this is kind of going back to to the battle we talked about with uh bradley cooper losing out to remy malik you know there are videos there is so much that you can pull from winston churchill it's an impersonation versus someone like daniel kaluuya giving a performance that is just something he's creating working with Jordan Peele and and the original material. So it's that battle that comes up a lot, especially in the Oscars. And it's funny that, you know, Kaluuya ends up winning his Academy Award for playing a real life person in a slight biopic. Well, I think that they, the Academy proves time and again that if they think that something's close, they appreciate the portrayal of a historical character, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I think where they get that so wrong 
and we, we often, uh, you know, pick our, uh, our battles with the Academy on this podcast, and I'm sure that they're torn up about it as they listen. Um, you know, where they get that wrong is which of those two performances are we even talking about five years after they came out? And if you go forward 20 years now from now, I, I think this is a performance that will withstand that test of time and, and potentially could even be looked back at as an iconic performance from this entire era. Not to you know say that Oldman's performance isn't great. I haven't seen the movie. He is a, a very accomplished actor at playing an iconic real-life person, right, in Churchill. I'm sure it was great. But to me, this is a degree of difficulty more difficult. Yeah, 100%. And so much of Oldman's performance is based on, like, the makeup, too. Like, he looks exactly like Churchill, so he embodies Churchill in that way. And it's, it's just, it's different. The funny thing is, looking back on this year, I don't know what the bigger crime is. Kaluuya losing to Oldman or Jordan Peele and this movie losing to Guillermo del Toro and The Shape of Water. Because, again, what are we talking about five years later? Are we talking about the movie where the girl has sex with a fish man? Or are we talking about a movie that actually had an impact on the world and, and culture? Like, you know, 12 Years a Slave won and, and, and it won that year because it was this impactful movie about that time in our country's history. And, and it was just it was this no holds barred look at slavery. Right. And Like, if you've seen that movie, I don't know if you guys have like that. There are so many scenes of that movie that are burned in my mind that I never want to see again because they're so intense. Get Out accomplishes that task of waking people up to something but it does it in a way that is rewatchable it does it in a way that is palatable to the masses not that not to knock 12 years a slave it's a fantastic movie it told a story that needed to be told and should have been told but if you're talking about a piece of art that is accomplishing a goal to the most amount of people that it can the fact that get out didn't win best picture is baffling when you're comparing it to a deaf woman having sex with a fish man, like it, it's ridiculous. Uh, that to me is almost the bigger crime than Kaluuya not winning best actor. I'm just, I'm nodding because I have not seen deaf woman, fish man movie um, that you describe. Um, it does not seem like from what I've seen of it uh, preview wise, it does not seem like something that I want to watch. So I'm just going to, say that this would have gotten my vote for sure of all the movies that i have been excited to uh this is definitely one of them um that's on that short list yeah and for me then you know you you said uh you don't know which one is the bigger crime having not seen the shape of water or darkest hour i you know i can't say for certain but i can say that if if on this podcast you said well guys it's a coin toss should we watch Darkest Hour. Uh, I'm getting that name right, right? That's uh, is that yep. the one that Oldman was in? Okay, yep. and then we can watch Darkest Hour or Shape of Water. I would absolutely say Darkest Hour. Please uh-huh. sign me up yep. for that. And so, just that natural impulse tells me that the bigger crime is that this didn't win uh, Best Picture. It didn't win, uh, you know, um, for for Peel uh, the awards. But I mean, I think as I recall, we had this discussion on our prior podcast a number of years back about how this was robbed and the years that have gone by have only made that uh, uh, more evident in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into what should have been the battle for first and second place this year at some point later this year, because something that is also now eligible three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, like 
this was just a year where the academy just said, nope, we're going to go get hammered, pick names out of a hat. That'll be the winner. At least Jordan Peele uh, got his due credit. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. We're not behind the camera yet. We're still on screen. We haven't talked about anybody else. Um, as we go through um, the next, you know, most important piece, second billing is Allison Williams as Rose, uh, his girlfriend, who is truly, I mean, she's got to be the biggest psychopath on the screen, right? Like, she is the one. The other ones, like, they're faking it for a weekend. She's the one, right, going out and picking and choosing these people and bringing them back and all stuff. And her performance in this, if we're talking about snub, snubs, she deserved credit for those scenes when she's on the phone with Rod, the the change near the end when she's like fumbling for the keys, all that, like how quickly she turns on a dime from concerned girlfriend to crying to just batshit crazy to surgical with the way that she goes about uh, this. This is just a process for her. Um, it, it's fantastic. And she's not someone that I've, seen a lot of i know she got famous for being on the hbo uh show girls not something i ever saw not not really my thing she's fantastic in this yeah i i agree i i think that uh um as you were talking about her the first thing that came to mind actually for me was uh uh Caleb Landry Jones. This was my first experience with him. Um, and he's in both of the movies that you mentioned. So maybe uh, he's the bad luck guy or something, and he's the reason they didn't win. Um, but uh, fantastic performance in this. As far as her performance, um, yeah, I, I think uh, fantastic. The You know, first time seeing it, not knowing exactly, like, is she involved? Is she not? Uh, what does she know? Is You know, and she she does a pretty good job of keeping you wondering until that moment with the keys. Um, you know, you have a pretty good idea that as he's looking through those pictures and things that uh, there's something going on there. But uh, it was just, you know, the, the final payoff when she did that. And um, yeah, by all means, she's she's clearly the, the biggest uh, psychopath in this and um, her ability to you know, live duplicitous like that um, and have this complete dark side that she hides from person after person after person as she lures them to to the family home is uh, is quite remarkable. So, um, yeah, great, great performance here by her. I have also not seen her in that uh, show you said was called Girls. Um, I don't know if I've seen her in anything else. I did not look at her IMDb, but uh um, yeah, I mean, good, great cast overall. I think, um, you know, small, small part in this one, but I'm a big, uh, like Keith Stanfield fan. He's in a few other things that I've really enjoyed. So I was glad to see him in this, um, obviously Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener, um, always, always kill it in their performances. So, um, in, you know, we'll, we'll get to the, one of the stars of the show, I'm sure later as we talk in, uh, uh rod what what's his name lil rel lil rel i think is how you say that howery um yeah a great performance by him so um yeah just great cast overall really well done and i i think you you nailed it by saying you know talking about allison's performance is rose armitage 
Armitage, Armitage. I don't know. Yeah, we'll go well, with either one. Either one. They're racist. You can pronounce their name however you want. <laughs> I mean, three three years ago, Brad. Uh, you know, you definitely saw her in in a performance that I know you don't want to like be totally real on the podcast with our listeners, but her her role as the sanitation worker in the episode of Oscar Uncanned on Sesame Street in 2019. I remember you talking about that. Um, oh, okay, yeah. So, you know, from Get Out in 2017 to that, I mean, she, she's done a lot uh, in terms of TV, not so much in film, but by far for me, the most interesting thing is that she's uh, former NBC News anchor Brian Williams' daughter, um, which oh. when I caught that, all of a sudden, then I was looking at her face going, yeah, I see the family resemblance there. Um, so, you know, small world. I thought she she gave a, a, an incredible performance. And, you know, watching a movie like this the second time, the third time, you pick up on all kinds of little things, but you know where the hook is coming. But I do remember the, the first time watching this feeling like, OK, she's got to be in on it, but she can't be in on it. And just her uh, ability to through some of those key scenes up until the keys keep you like guessing and doubting yourself i i think uh a pretty impressive performance well yeah that scene because you see the pictures so you know that she's lying mm-hmm. but her performance is so baby i can't find the key i don't know where don't you have the key i don't know where the keys are i get like you still believe like well like i don't know maybe did i even see those pictures right maybe i saw something wrong that maybe i should go back i don't know i don't know what i saw like because she's so convincing even though the twist has already been given away, she pulls it through for another 30 seconds. Yeah. Just well, perfect. I mean, I would argue that it it's not given away there. Like it, it, it definitely. And I, I think you point to it. Her performance makes you doubt it because there's still that little thing in your mind is like, okay, so she knows all these people. Okay. So she's had relationships with them and clearly like, something goes wrong in these relationships, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she was in on the family business, you know, like maybe she was just an unfortunate uh, piece of the puzzle, I guess you would say. But like um, that was the first time with the keys that you understand that she's an active participant in these crimes that are taking place. These, you know, horrific things that are being done to these people. And, uh, so I, I think, well, you know, this obviously the second time I watched it, you know, you know exactly what you're seeing that first time, though, I remember not fully being 100 percent on board with her involvement and in her um, willingness to be involved until um, until the key scene, which is why I think that's such a remarkable moment in, the, in this film. Well, I think also with it coming right on the heels of the scene down by the lake, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, anyone who has been in a relationship that, well, really in a serious relationship, right? You've had that moment. And, and if you've been in one that failed, that moment where you're sitting there, all, all the cards are on the table, all the emotions out there. And it's that like, this is probably going to end, right? And the way that, you know, she strings it out, she strings it out, and then she turns it into, you know what? Nope, let's leave. I'm with you. It makes you want to believe that in spite of all of this, She's just an unwilling participant or a pawn in, in whatever's going on. Um, and again, just uh, a, a credit to her performance that she is able to play that so convincingly that even when they're giving you the evidence right in front of you, you're just like, no, that can't be. Right. Yeah, that's just a huge credit to her. So, um, Brad, you mentioned a few other names 
Lakeith Stanfield, the crazy thing is like uh, of anyone in this movie, his star has been the one that's been attached to a rocket ship after this thing came out. Um, he, he's been in a ton more stuff than even uh, Kaluuya has. Um, he starred alongside him in Judas and the Black Messiah, which I know both of your guys' taste in movies. Obviously, I get to know it you know, more and more as we do this podcast, but a movie that I think both of you would love. It was one of, if not my favorite from last year. Um, you know, he, and then he was in a Netflix Western, the harder they fall, uh, which again, I thought was fantastic. It was a really, really interesting take on Westerns and on like African-Americans role in Westerns as well. Um, so he's been fantastic, not a ton in this movie, but enough to clearly leave a mark. Uh, Brad, you did mention, uh, Lil Rel Howard, Howery, um, who's probably the MVP of the whole movie, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, what he that ha, he has to be one of the greatest comic reliefs in a horror movie ever, if not the greatest. Um, he he's just fantastic. Stephen Root popping up, and and I think that that's kind of the key here. Like we were talking before we started recording, how like I always think of Bradley Cooper as or Bradley Cooper, Bradley Whitford as uh, the guy from The West Wing. You know, fun, loving, humorous, whatever. And in this, he's the dorky dad until he's, you know, not. Stephen Root is, you know, we all know Stephen Root from Office Space and Dodgeball. And he's this blind guy that he's actually like the one that's not racist, right? He's willing to have a conversation with him about art and just talk to him. And then you see where he's going. Like they do such a good job of just changing the dynamic of what you expect from all of these people on screen. And I think that that's one of, if not the best things that this movie does consistently. Yeah. As you were going through uh, Stanfield's uh, filmography there, I, I think we need to mention Atlanta. I, I don't know if you guys have seen that show or not, but it is a fantastic TV show. Um, probably one of the best ever made. Unfortunately, it's just, you know, there's so few episodes and it's been so hit or miss on when it comes out that a lot of people have missed it. But um, fantastic show um, that he's a part of. So if, you know, listeners or you guys, if you haven't seen Atlanta, uh, definitely check it out. Um, yeah, I didn't mention Steven Root earlier um, because, you know, he kind of is what he is. He's going to have roles in these films that uh, you remember him for, but he's never going to carry the film himself. Um, I shouldn't say never. He's probably been the lead in some movies that I've seen, but uh Definitely um, just a, a, a bit actor there getting small parts in films. So, um, but yeah, like I said, this was cast very well. Even the, the you know, the, the grandfather who started the whole thing with his young family there. Uh, I forget his name, but, you know, he's a an actor that uh, is pretty famous too. But, you know, Catherine Keener, I think, is definitely underrated. Um, I can't remember if she was mentioned when we did the, uh, uh, female actress episode on our other podcasts, but, uh, if, if she wasn't, um, she definitely should have been cause she's, she's great. And, and a lot of the things that she's in, I was trying to think of her, uh, you know, superpower. It was funny how, uh, he, he beats up, uh, the brother, he beats up Landry Jones there and, uh, he kills Bradley Whitford with the uh, the antlers, and then he runs upstairs and just has to knock a, uh, a a teacup out of her hand to basically 
render her ineffective. It was kind of funny, like, you know, that's her that's her superpower, this little teacup. Um, so he slaps it out of her hand and it's like, oh, okay, well, she can't do anything now. So I thought that was a unintentionally humorous part in his escape there uh, where he just kind of slapped that out of her hand. But um, yeah, yeah, she she was definitely great in this movie too. So uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about her and some of the scenes that we talk about later. So um yeah, I guess kind of rambling here. So rein me in and let me know where we're taking this next. Uh, well, I mean, I think we'll talk Jordan Peele next. Um, you know, I mean, he had such a long career in the sketch comedy thing with Key and Peele. And uh, I watched that a lot in my high school days. And that is what it, it's hilarious. You know, he comes out as he's going to write and direct a horror movie. What? And then he does this. And then we get us. And for me... I mean, just broad strokes here. He's one for two, right? Like after get out, it was anything. This guy's name is on. I am there opening night. Sign me up. Get it to me as fast as you can. I was let down by us. And now this year he has his next movie coming out. Uh, It's entitled. Nope. It has Daniel Kaluuya in it again. And that's it. That's all. No plot has been released um a couple other actors are in it steven yoon from the walking dead is going to be in it but they they've released nothing else so i'm excited but he's on the edge of if i'm then disappointed by nope he's one for three in my opinion and i'm not as much on board but this for a debut why am I talking weird tonight? A debut. <laughs> a, a debut. <laughs> a debut of writing and directing. Uh, fantastic. I mean, I, I don't have a false note to say about Get Out. Well, you said one for two. I think he's definitely two for three. Uh, uh, Keanu, you got to give him props for his writing on, on Keanu. That's a uh, underrated, uh, silly film. Um, but I, I, I thought that that was pretty, pretty great. Um, I don't know if I was let down by us or not. Like I remember, I remember leaving the theater um, thinking like, okay, that's not quite what I expected. But then I spent about 30 minutes dissecting it with the guy I watched it with. And I was like, okay, that, so that was better than, than what I thought. I think the thing that was disappointing for me with us is that, almost everything in that represented something else. So this movie could be basically whatever you wanted it to be and whatever you wanted those things to represent. And I think never getting the clear answer in the film, he never comes and says, okay, this is exactly what you're watching here. I think that's the difficult part for me is, uh, you know, 10 different people could watch that and walk away with 10 different, um, synopsises of what they just saw so to me sometimes that's frustrating i wish he would have uh wrapped it up a little better put a bow on it just a little better so um there's more of a consensus idea of what the story was about but that's probably what he's going for is like the idea of what his art was representing could be whatever you want it to be or mean what you need it to mean in your life at that point so um 
yeah, it was just it's a difficult thing when you don't really fully understand or comprehend exactly what Jordan Peele's brain was trying to tell you in that film. So that was my biggest issue with with us. Yeah, I'm going to continue the move in the opposite direction of, of you, Ethan. And and I'll say, actually, I, I really rather enjoyed us. <clears throat> I do agree, Brad, with the point that you made, which is, uh, you know, I think what it was lacking that this had was what this had was a very nice interlude where he is uh, the lead character is strapped to a chair and a video plays to explain everything that's happening. And then any questions you have about why is this happening this way? What's really going on? It all connects and you're like, oh, you can start to very quickly piece together. Oh, okay. So like, that's the grandfather. That's the grandmother. This all makes sense now. Right. Um, and us didn't have an interlude where it just laid it all out. But again, I think that that's something that I appreciated about it because it, it made you think about it from a couple of different perspectives and left it open to interpretation. I, I don't, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, think it is as good of a movie as this. And I think that in that sense, it was a letdown because I was I was really hoping that it was going to knock it out of the park. And uh, I mean, I remember discussing with you guys my my hopes that it would knock it out of the park and and just win the Academy Award to right the wrong of this one not being there. And it was not on that level, but um, but I, I enjoyed it. And I also. I've never seen this, so it could be absolutely terrible. But I did read an interesting article about the 2021 remake of Candyman that he was a writer on mm -hmm. that indicated that it was a pretty well done movie with a lot of thought put into it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But again, I think that in any of these these spins, he's going for something right. He's going for social commentary and the ability to, to analyze society, the ability to think about the world that we live in from a different perspective. Um, and sometimes when you go that route, you're going to, you're going to hit a home run and other times you're going to swing and miss. And if I had to guess, as long as he stays true to that, that's what the rest of his career is going to be like. There's going to be some, some great hits and some that are going to land and make people go, well, that's not as great. Yeah. So it's actually, it's interesting that you brought up Candyman um, because I think just the best thing I can say about get out is in my opinion of everything I've seen, it accomplishes social commentary on this subject greater than any movie I've ever seen. Right. Like to me, like a movie, I mean, because of the compare, like 12 years a slave is not social commentary. It's a true story about terrible things, right? Like this is telling a fresh original story in a way to talk about racism and inequality and things like that. Whereas something like Candyman which is where I think a lot of movies end up going. Like they do this twist in the new Candyman. Sorry for spoiling it for anyone, but it's really not that great anyway. Basically like police brutality and police racism is what led to Candyman. Like that's what they allude to. And then by the end of it, it's the final scene is a bunch of white cops shooting the main black guy and then intimidating his girlfriend so that we can watch Candyman kill six more people and cheer him on because we get it, right? Like, white cops beat up black people and they're racist. All right, cool. Like, I, this puts so much more effort, requires you to do some mental gymnastics to see where we're going, and still comments on these issues in society. And that's why I go back. That's why this movie has lasted the five years. That's why I think this movie will last 20 years is because there's an obvious message that it's telling you 
But there's also a lot of underlying messages that you have to go back and see on the repeat viewings. And I like that mix. That And that's why this one is head and shoulders above something like Us, something like Candyman, any of that kind of stuff in terms of modern horror. Rotten Tomatoes game. Mike, did you win or did I win last week? That's how great I am at this. I don't even remember which one of us. I know we played against I am confident, actually, you won because whatever number I went with, you went one above, and I think you hit it directly on the head. All right, fantastic. So, so I yeah. will first, and you can try to snipe me one way or the other. Uh, this is challenging because how high do I go to uh, actually make it tough for Brad? And I'm just going to go right in the middle and see where he ends up. I'm going to say 95%. Wow. Uh, so, and Brad, you can, when I met, I met middle between 90 and a hundred, I was not going to guess 50% for get out. But I, I was um, smart enough to realize when you said 95 and you said middle that you meant between 90 and a hundred, but I, I do, I do appreciate the clarification because, you know, I, I'm not always the smartest uh, or the, the sharpest pencil in the box or the whatever whatever analogy you want to use there. So, um, But yes, last time I checked, I believe 95 is in the middle of those two. It, it um, but you did leave me with a, a tough choice. Um, I'm going to go 94. Um, I don't feel great about it, but my original number was uh, going to, if I had to go first, was going to be somewhere between 90 and 92. Uh, so I'm going to say 94 to stay true to my original thought. The correct answer is a 98% at this point. Oh, geez. So Ethan wins. I don't know and if you've had a movie get up there. Just to clarify, Ethan, I, I, I picked in the middle between 93 and 95. Right, right. Um, when I went with 94 there. <laughs> That's wild. That is that it is that high and you know i have 98 wow this is one of the rare you know a lot of times we talk about the fans liking it more than the critics this is an 86 percent on the audience score versus that 98 uh from critics i mean 98 is a wild number and i know it was a success at the box office to get that four and a half million dollars was the budget on this movie Four and a half million. That that is the lowest budget we've ever had on a movie in uh, the history of the threequel, and it made two hundred and fifty-five million dollars. I mean, we've had movies do a lot more money than that. We've had movies do less than that, but we've never had a movie make almost its entire worldwide gross is just profit. <laughs> we've we've never had that, um, and, and that's fantastic. And that. I mean, there are some heavy hitters in this movie. For the budget to be that low, that's people really buying into a vision from Jordan Peele and him being, I mean, because Brad Whitford can probably go grab $4 million just being in a movie right now, just by himself without production costs. So that's pretty impressive what they did with this. I'm going to guess he got some points on the back end. You also can't uh, you can't disrespect Goodwill Hunting like that. We have had another movie come in this high, and that was Goodwill Hunting. It was um, a ninety eight. Yeah, it was a also a ninety eight. I just double checked before I opened my mouth because I wanted to make sure I was I was correct. But it comes in at a fresh score of ninety eight. Um, I believe those two are now tied for the highest. I don't think we've had a ninety nine or a hundred um, on 
on those. So, and if 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 this or Goodwill Hunting cannot pull in a higher than ninety eight, I don't know if there are too many movies that can. I will say that you mentioned earlier uh, in this episode that we're going to be talking about uh, the Three Billboards movie. Um, I w- on my personal rankings, I ranked that higher than Get Out um, for. Um, my appreciation of movies so we'll see where that comes in at but that that too is a fantastic film that we're going to be doing hopefully uh in the coming months yep for sure let's wrap it up here guys favorite line favorite scene let's start with favorite scene because i know that mine has uh kind of been mentioned and i guess i'll just kick us off um my favorite scene is the keys scene um, just because of what we've mentioned already, so I don't have to rehash too much of it. But the performance um, from Allison Williams and uh, and the performance from Daniel Kaluuya, everybody involved, uh, you just that's the highest point of stress in this movie, right? By the time he gets down in the basement, I mean, you know, some cool action's probably going to happen. He's going to get out of it, but this is the moment of we don't know where the next turn is going to be. And then her finally, like, you know, I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Like that bitch she even tricked me too like just that whole thing i think it's fantastic so that's my favorite scene is just the i can't give you the keys scene well you know it's hard for me to come up with a scene that's that's probably better than that entire scene just because of the way that it builds especially the first time that you watch it i think that that one has to knock it out of the park um but that said i think upon my third rewatch here if i was going to go with a different scene i would give some credit to the the scene you know between uh, you know, Chris Washington there um, and uh, Catherine Keener's character where he gets hypnotized at night. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of, again, nuance, uh, subtlety, uh, the ability to kind of reflect back on his childhood trauma and the burden that that's still carrying. And then um, reflecting on the first time that you watch it, the the utter shock of the sunken place mixed in with him waking up in bed the next day like it didn't happen and kind of the disorienting nature of that the first time that you watch this film so i would give that one uh my second place uh so my favorite scene um it's a little surprising that it's my favorite because there's really not a whole lot that happens in it but it's the the dinner scene where he first meets her brother um and it's played by you know jeremy's played by caleb landry jones um, that scene was my first time like seeing him on film and just the way he talked, the way he looked, there's just something about him that is, was kind of like mesmerizing in that moment. Like I was just trying to figure out what am I watching here? Like, it, it, is this guy, you know, is he a meathead? Is he really smart? Is he just, you know, is he not smart? Like what, what's going on here? He does a great job of like, uh, just trying to confuse the the audience with his with his character um and then you start piecing together like you know that's when you first start thinking like okay he did was he the guy that was in that car at the beginning when with the abduction and of of course you know you later find out that he was and um uh, he also has this really weird uh young Brad Pitt thing going on where I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like, is this Brad Pitt's kid or something? Like, uh, cause he looked a lot like, and talked a lot like Brad Pitt back in like, you know, the, the California, uh, you know, California days, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, just that whole dinner scene where you're starting to kind of figure out how messed up this family is. Um, and they you know, kind of sizing up, uh, Chris and, um, trying to decide, you know, 
just kind of how like what some of his abilities are is, is he a fighter that sort of thing so um yeah just a uh, very entertaining scene to me um even though not a whole lot happens in that in that scene great choices guys let's wrap it up with favorite line uh let you guys take the reins on this one favorite line from get out Go ahead, Mike. Kick us off. All right. Well, I um, this is a tough one for me to come up with a favorite line, but I did find a, a piece of dialogue that I, I particularly liked for the way that uh, it culminated in the way that Dean uh, Armitage right, uh, delivers it, uh, that character. And, and so it's when they're standing in the hallways, he's touring around the house and they're looking at the pictures. And you know, he says, you're going to love this. My dad's claim to fame. Uh, he was beat by Jesse Owens in the qualifying round for the Berlin Olympics. And they talk about, you know, yeah, that's the one with Hitler. Yep. Uh, you know, Hitler, what a moment. I mean, Hitler's up there with all the this Aryan race bullshit. And this black dude comes along and proves him wrong in front of the entire uh, world. Amazing. And then, you know, Chris Washington says, man, tough break for your dad, though. And just, yeah, he almost got over it. There's just the way he delivers that line that, yep. you know, the first time you're watching, it, you're like, that's, should, should that be? Uh, something that, that kind of like casts a, a dark cloud over this or not. And then upon rewatch, you're like, yep, there you go. So uh, that uh, that's dialogue stood out to me this time. Yeah. For, for me, um, it's, it's two scenes. I'll just uh, briefly mention the first one. And that's where uh, Rod is in the, at the police station uh, recanting his, his story of why there's something going on and that they need to be wa- looking for his friend. Um, but the last one, the one I'm going to pick is uh, uh, towards the end there where he says, you know, it's this really rough scene. He gets his friend in the car and he's like, I mean, I told you not to go in that house. And then Chris says, how'd you find me? And he goes, I'm TS motherfucking a, we handle shit. That's what we do. <laughs> Consider this situation fucking handled. And yeah, it's uh, just hilarious. Um, and I know that that was a, uh, an alternate ending. Um, and probably at this point, the better one to go with. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think delivering that line and having that part at the end was just the right kind of uh, comedic relief. Um, and I'm glad that, that Jordan Peele went that way with it. Uh, so my favorite line is from Rod. It's a different scene uh, than what Brad said, but it's when uh, Rose calls him and she's, you know, acting like she's concerned and trying to get some information out of him. And he, you know, goes to recorder because he thinks he's got it all figured out. And then she switches it and starts saying that he's attracted to her and all this stuff. And when she hangs up, just his reaction of like that, she's so, she's a genius. Like, just it's, I think that's the funniest line in the whole movie to me the fact because he's pissed but like he's the only one that has seen this entire thing for what it was and then in that moment he he thinks that she's insane which she is but also she's a damn genius because she knew I was recording her and all she did was just make me an accomplice and so that that to me was the funniest line in the movie it was my favorite Rod's my favorite character in the movie said he's the mvp and i stand by that um but yeah so that wraps that up guys that's our conversation about get out uh we hope that you enjoyed that we were all looking forward to this this was uh head and shoulders the group pick for the month of february 
Uh, so that will take care of that. Next week, we're doing Mike's pick for the month of February. Uh, big, big shift uh, from one week to the next. We are getting into the sports comedy realm once again with Happy Gilmore, uh, the classic Adam Sandler uh, golf comedy. So we'll do that a little lighthearted, and then uh, we'll have quite a gear shift again to finish out February. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, that's then. This is now. This was Get Out. And other than that, guys, for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan, and we'll see you next time.